So again, thank you. Thank you for being here and thank you for joining our church uh, or joining us in worship this morning. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, the Bible says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. I want to read that again. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. You and I, we who are saved, who are born of God, even though, even today, we can have victory through faith. Uh, and while there are many examples in Scripture, there are many Many examples. The Old Testament and the, New, and the New Testament is ripe with examples of men who live by faith. Habakkuk chapter 2 talks about how the just shall live by faith. But I believe this, this morning the Lord has led us to Acts chapter 3. As I was studying through uh, our New Testament, as we read through the New Testament, the Lord led me here. Uh, Acts chapter 3 records what most would call the very first miracle from the New Testament church, not from the Lord and, and uh, not from the apostles because they had they, they did they did things. They raised the dead. If you all remember, the Lord sent them out while he was still here uh, in the flesh. But this is the birth of the church at Pentecost. So this is by many by many um, conclusions of many men, rather, uh, the first miracle uh, of the New Testament church. Let's just get through this text here and read through it uh, and see what the Lord has for us this morning. Look there closely at verse number one of Acts chapter three. The Bible says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the temple at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who seen Peter and John about to go into the temple and ask alms. And Peter fastened his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I in the name of, the, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Verse 7 says, And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wondering. This first miracle uh, we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to find some, some patterns, if you will, that we can follow our life after, or pattern our life after. But before we get into the, what the Lord has given me, and I think, uh, I hope you'll see it in the text here, but let's go to him in prayer and have him uh, just be here among us. Heavenly Father, we thank you again uh, for allowing us to be here. Lord, help me and as, I, as I deliver what you've given to me. Help me to convey what you've conveyed to me, Lord, in, in the studying of your scripture, Lord. Be with us, Lord. Lord, we need you. I need you. Lord, I need you to use me. Help me to be surrendered completely to you and be a vessel that you can do mighty works through. Lord, I know that you demand a clean vessel and a pure vessel, Lord, and I claim that purity in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the cross. And Lord, I pray, Lord, in this very special day, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know for sure they have a home in heaven, Lord, make 
this day be the day of salvation for that soul. Lord, we need you today. Lord, as we approach the, the, the closing of this service and the, and the celebration or the observance of the Lord's Supper, of your Supper, Lord, help us to, to celebrate it in awe of what you've done for us with reverence and respect. And Lord, and we thank you and use us today as we look into your word. Help us to see uh, you working in the lives of Peter and John and this lame man and even the crowd. And Lord, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I've entitled this message, Victory Through Faith. Victory Through Faith. And that's just a title that I put on there, of course, and, and including the whole outline is, is what I put together. Many of you all know that I like to have an outline and I like to alliterate and all those things. But I, I pray that's not a, uh, a distraction to you. Uh, I hope it is something that helps you remember uh, what's in the text. But I want you to, in the text, look there at verse number one again. The Bible says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. Very quickly, right into the text this morning, I want to say that there is prayer in the ninth hour right here uh, in the beginning of chapter uh, three. Again, God just sent, y'all know what chapter 2 is, that's Pentecost, right? Many would consider it the birth of the church. God sent the power of the Holy Ghost upon the apostles and the early church, which began in the upper room, if you remember. They were gathered together, just over 100, 120 folks, the Bible says. And then when Pentecost was fully come, as Acts 2 verse 1 says, the ending result was a spirit-filled church and a local body of 3,000 people. 3,000 people. That's more people in all of this hopping metropolis we have here in Hermansdorf. I think there's 300 people here. This is 3,000 people. They couldn't even fit on our premises. That's how many people were saved here in this early church. Acts chapter 2 verse 15 tells us that all of that happened at the third hour of the day. So in the morning. Remember they, they accused them of being drunk and Peter says no they're not drunk with wine. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. But then chapter 3 begins with Peter and John going to the temple at the ninth hour. Now, these hours are a little different than our hours today. The ninth hour would be our 3 p.m. So there's just really three, three hours left in that day. Three hours left before the sun goes down on that Jewish day. And Peter and John go to pray. They decide to pray. And I realize that they were interrupted on their way there. They were interu interrupted as they go into the temple, which will get to that interruption. But I want to first highlight this morning the simplicity and, and more importantly, the commitment they had to pray, to pray. It is one of the things that all of us, including myself, fail to do the way it needs to be done, I think. Uh, we underestimate the power of prayer. Now, we know the story, of course. We just read a little bit about it, uh, about Pentecost. And it's the birth of the church, as most consider. And we regard, uh, with regard to the harvest of these souls... This is, I mean, no doubt one of the most successful events in church history. I mean, 3,000 were saved and the apostles were greatly used. But as time progressed, you know, if you have some a great event, if you've ever been to a, a church revival or maybe a youth revival or maybe just a revival in your own personal walk with the Lord and you're studying and you have a, a spiritual high, if you will, on one day and then later on that day or the next day and the next day, Things just kind of go back to normal, right? That's, that's kind of what's going on here, right? Those 3,000 folks just got saved. And they could have easily rest assured 
that the magnificent proceeds that they were just used to do, they can just ride that way for a long time. I mean, if we had a 3,000, if we had a 1,000, if we had one soul saved, I can ride on that for a long time. Easily. It'd be wrong. But you, you know what I'm saying. So there's something excited about that. You want to you hold on to those things. And you can be, maybe you can forget to pray and thank God. But they didn't do that. You know, quite honestly, there is a feeling of accomplishment that God decided to use us, to use you to do something great. And positive outcomes usually validate our efforts. I mean, we're, we're all human, and when we do something and some positive result happens from that, it kind of validates what we've done, right? And the apostles were no, no excuse to this. They surely felt that. Now, just to be clear, Luke doesn't uh, specifically tell us how much time had, had elapsed from Pentecost and the beginning of chapter 1, only that it is the ninth hour here in, in chapter 3. Uh, but 3,000, even today, is a lifetime harvest. It's a life that they have said that D.L. Moody has led one million people to the Lord personally. Wow. In, in the lifetime of his ministry. And uh, one day on the streets of London, he was, uh, or maybe Chicago, I think it was Chicago. He went back and forth between uh, both of those cities because he was friends with Charles Spurgeon. Uh, but I think it was on the streets of Chicago and he was mugged. And uh, the guy come up behind him with a gun or a knife. I don't remember all the details. And uh, D.L. Moody gives him his money. And, uh, and as they walk away, the, the, the bad guy says, you know, I used to, I was even one of your converts. And D.L. Moody said, well, that's the problem. You were one of my converts, not one of his. And so who knows how, how true that is. But at any rate, or how true his conversion was, at any rate, 3,000 is a lifetime harvest for any of us today. I say that to say this, whether this was the next day or the same day as Pentecost, or months later, if the apostles were never used of God again, were they used greatly? Absolutely. If they never made another significant impact for the cause of Christ, they had already made a significant impact for the cause of Christ. And as this certain day began to draw to an end, they went to pray. A Jewish custom, yes, to pray at this time of day. But think about what has changed much has changed. Much has changed, but they still took time to pray. So our first reminder this morning is simple. Take time to pray. Pray. Many souls have been saved since Pentecost. Many souls. Yours. Mine. But there's still time to pray. It's important. And many of the world's events today, as we look at the the news, and I try not to look at it too much because it's depressing, but you look at what's going on in the world today, we could easily walk away from watching and, and contemplating what's going on in the world that we're kind of in our ninth hour. Just three more hours before the, before the end, if you will. But there's still time to pray. There's still time to pray. Because as we'll see, there's a lot happens after the ninth hour. A lot happens after the ninth hour. God has used average men to accomplish great things. He still does this today, but there is still work to be done. The laborers are few. The laborers are few. And all of that labor begins and continues with prayer. Many of y'all have heard of a man named Oswald Chambers, and he once said this, Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. So forget about the end times, if you will. Forget about the sun going down, so to speak, and pray. Get a hold of the Lord and pray. You know, we can actually meet here 
and not have a spirit of prayer and not come for the right reasons and all just all for naught. We must have a right mindset and that begins with prayer. It's time to pray. We must be tuned in to him. Tuned him. I used to have a, 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 uh, an example about a piano being tuned. And I'm no music, musician. Um, but if you tune a piano, you know, to one, one piano is tuned to this piano, it sounds great. But if you tune the third piano to this piano, it starts to get a little off. So I'll, so I'll use that, but I really don't know how all of that works because I'm not a musician. But this I do know. We have a, we have a key for this front door. Right. And for the longest time, I had what I thought was the main key and I would use it and I would make copies. I'd go down to the bow spacey. I'd go to Regensburg. I'd go wherever and I'd make copies of that key. None of them worked. Not one of them because they because I found out what I had was a copy was a copy. The tolerances were too great for the third key to work. So then I found the original key, which the former pastor still had. Hey, oh, by the way, I, did, I, I forgot to give you this like a, a year later. Now I can make copies. So y- y'all see the point that we can't copy. You can't copy me. You can't copy Brother Shannon or Brother Harry. We have to copy him. We have to follow him. And that starts with our prayer. We must be tuned in to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's essential in achieving faith because with prayer and with the mindset of prayer, our hearts and minds are tuned to him. We need Him. And when we have Him, when we are following His desires, and when we're tuned in to the heart and mind of God, we start to notice what God notices. I've prayed this a couple times, and I'm always fearful about praying it, but Lord, give me your burden for this church. Give me your burden for this community. That's scary because I can't carry His burden. So with that is the implication that He has to help me carry those burdens. But it starts with prayer. And when we have his mindset, we start to see things. I would say we even start to feel things that he feels. And I think it's true here with the apostles. Look at what the apostles noticed. Look at verses 2 through 4. It says, And a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple and ask alms, and Peter fastened his eyes upon him with John and said, Look on us. They, with prayer, with a heart that was right, they began to perceive what was around them, to perceive the needy. Now, I realize that context, in context, here in Acts chapter 3, prayer is not directly linked to their recognition of the lame man, but there is a pattern that we can follow. Prayer is a main thrust of the New Testament. It's a main, uh, main thrust of the entire Bible. We must pray. I was surprised to learn, I did a Google, well not a Google, a Bible search on the word prayer. And it's mentioned more in the book of Genesis than any other book of the Bible. Prayer. Talk about a foundation that we must have. Prayer and perception. Prayer leads to our perception. So think about this this lame man. How long had he laid there? How long was this man daily at the gate of the temple asking for alms? Chapter 4, if you look over there real quick at verse 22, the Bible says, For the man was above 40 years old. 40. 40 years old. And verse 2, back in Acts chapter 3, he's been lame from his mother's womb. 40 years old, this man has never walked. 40 years old. 
it wasn't his first day there. And it's clear that the apostles now have the presence of the Holy Spirit in them. And now they realize this man. But how many times have Peter and John walked by? I wonder. How many times had Peter and John walked by in the midst of supposedly the most holiest people on the planet? God's chosen people, the people whom God revealed himself to in the temple. There lay a lame man outside the temple begging for money. You know, this lame man during his entire life, a life that I don't know if you put this together, his life began before the birth of Christ. Forty years old. He had been a crippled nobody for as long as most of us have been alive. His only friends were only good enough to drag him to the temple. That's all we see in the text. Surely he had heard of the healing powers of the Lord. He'd probably been around when God came through in the form of Jesus Christ and healed other people around the temple. He was probably there wondering, can I be next? But he had a purpose to serve. And this is his purpose. He certainly had heard of the crucifixion and no doubt of the resurrection. You know, Paul would later tell King Agrippa that none of these things happened in a corner. The world knows what happened in Jerusalem with Jesus Christ. He knew about Jesus Christ, this lame man, but there he lay. How many devout Jews, how many devout believing Jews walked by this fellow Jew, this fellow believer in their God? I was thinking about this. If only a good Samaritan was allowed to walk into the temple, but they couldn't go in the temple. They were not allowed. If only a good Samaritan were there. You know, in Ezekiel chapter 16, the Bible states that some of the sins that Israel was guilty of and quite it's, it's kind of unique in Ezekiel. If you ever get the, uh, ever have time to read Ezekiel, um, read it. It's, it's quite interesting. But go to chapter 16. It talks about the birth of Israel. And one of the things it compares Israel to is that of Sodom. And it says Israel's sins were worse than Sodom's. And some of those sins are pride, fullness of bread. I mean, Think about some of the applications here today and, and, and looking at us today. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness, and not strengthening the hand of the poor and needy. Sodom was guilty of that. Israel was guilty of that. And this is unfortunately beginning to be a description of modern day Christianity. We have our, as George used to come here many, uh, I guess a year or so ago, we have fire insurance. I, I'm saved and I'm not going to hell, so I have fire insurance. But that's all, that's all it is. It's just insurance. We don't, we don't do anything with what we have. Our, our personal salvation is just that. It's personal. And it doesn't affect anybody else. May it never be said of us to forget the needy. To forget the needy. We must have a heart for the needy. You know, I truly believe that a heart right with God is a heart for the people. A heart right for, with God is a heart for the things of God. A right heart follows the example of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. Did Jesus help more of the blind, deaf, and crippled? Or people who could see, see hear, and walk? He helped more of the first category. So it's 
more than just giving silver or gold in an offering plate. It's the tithing of self is what we're supposed to be doing in this world. We're supposed to make an impact, salt of the world, light of the world. Remember, remember those things? We're supposed to make an impact. I'm thinking, I'm guilty. I'm, I'm 49 years old. I'm about to turn 50 years old. And I look back at my life, and most of those times I'm guilty of putting my light under a bushel. I was saved at 19 years old, but you couldn't tell me from anybody else. I look just like everybody else, and I'm guilty of not living the life that God wanted me to live. We must be salt. We must be light. We must have a heart for people. It's more than just giving. It's giving of self. And when done right, when we do it right, our walk with God is most evident, not here, but outside of these walls. Outside of these walls. That's where it really, really counts. That's what we'll be answering for. God is pleased with this. Don't get me wrong. God loves the fact that we are gathered together in His name. But if it's just here and it's all different the rest of the week, it starts to take a little bit away from this. We must be all in for the Lord Jesus Christ. Our commitment to Christ must be evident here and outside these church walls. I mean, think about this. Thousands of devout Jews came to the temple to tithe of their income. I wonder how many had the faith to give a little more to this lame man. How is your faith in practice? How many people have we walked by whom we could have helped? And whether it's the gospel message or a glass of cold water, we're guilty. I'm guilty. I've been walking through Regensburg a little bit more lately. Because of our new ministry we've been starting over there, and the Lord has heightened my perception. There's not a whole lot of people down there on the, on the streets, but there are some. And I've began to take notice more so than I have before. There are people around us who need help. Sometimes they're not laying on the street. Sometimes they're not asking for money. Sometimes they look like they got it all together. But do they? I get it that some folks who present themselves as needy are not as needy as they make out. I understand that. But some are. Some are. Let God be the judge. And all need the gospel. May we perceive the needy. But I want to point out that perception is no good without action. That makes sense, right? Like Peter and John, if we are not only to perceive the needy, we are to have pity on the needy. We are to have pity on him. Look at verse 4 again. The Bible says, And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I give, I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. We are to have pity for these folks. You know, it's become a joke. I guess you'd call it a joke in, in my home. You know, I'm married. Of course, my wife, you know, we live together, and I guess most people live with their wives, but um, most men anyway. And anyway, so I, I've, tell, I've told her often throughout the years, it's the thought that counts. And she does not like that phrase. Uh, one time I told her that I, th I thought about doing the dishes. <laughs> and because I perceived it would be a good thing. And yeah, it didn't go so well. Um, so we've all heard that saying, it's the thought that counts. And I really enjoy doing it when after the, you know, the, the dishes are full or whatever, and we're sitting on a couch and we're drinking a cup of coffee. And it's like, you know, I, th I thought about washing the dishes. I thought about maybe sweeping the floor or whatever, you know, but it don't work. 
Quite honestly, and in the practical real world we live in, the thought only counts when it's followed by action. It only counts when it's followed by action. I really, I get it that sometimes you, the thought really does count when you're trying to do something. You really just can't do it for whatever reason. It may be them, but for the most part, thoughts only count when they're followed by the actions that you thought about. James says it a little differently. He says it's about faith. Faith, a faith that is real is a faith that works. A thought that is real is a thought that's followed by action. And our theme this morning, in order for us to achieve victory through faith, it must be through a genuine faith that works. Not just one that rests on what Christ did for us. And there's a part of that, I understand that, but active in what Christ did for us. A faith that works. We will be reminded later here in a few moments that this man's healing was an act of faith. Nothing short of faith. If if that's the case, are we not to assume that their meeting each other is the result of the apostles' walk of faith. You'll see that. So this man's laying there. Now, maybe he doesn't have any faith right now. At least he has no idea what was going, what's going on. And maybe the apostles, the apostles, Peter and John, they really don't know that this man's laying there. They probably didn't put two and two together. Maybe they've seen him before. Maybe they've walked by him before, but they don't remember. So as they're walking, they're going to the temple to pray. I believe they're led of the Spirit. They're following. They're they're acting out their faith. So their being there is an act of their faith. They follow the Holy Spirit to pray. And their genuine faith enabled them to have, to first perceive that he was there instead of walking by him, and now to give pity upon him on this nameless 40-year-old man. Now I realize the word pity today has some negative connotations to it. I realize that. But I assume in most of those cases that when offense, when an offense is taken to pity, it's probably some pride involved. I mean, how much pride do we think was left in this man? This man was begging for pity. Matter of fact, if you look at that word alms, it means pity. It means pity. Give me pity. Show some pity. Do you think people who are truly down and out, those people who are truly broken, will be offended by your pity? I don't think so. Would you be offended if you were down and out? If you were on the street there, you had no money, nothing to your name. All you had was, I don't know, maybe the cup that you're holding out, hoping somebody would come by and give you money. If somebody dropped money in that, would you be offended? No, otherwise you wouldn't be there. This man was not offended when Peter and John stopped to help him. I mean, monetarily speaking, Peter and John were in the same category. <laughs> this guy was asking for money. They, they didn't have any money. And Peter and John, if we look at John's past, he probably come from a wealthy lifestyle. John, probably for the first time in his life, is not. Now he's like, I left a, a very lucrative fishing business working for my father, and now, I hear, now here I am, and I don't have any money. I'm broke for the Lord. He's rich in the Lord, but I don't buy coffee. Not that coffee is it. Well, coffee is kind of essential, right? (laughs) There is, of course, a difference in their lifestyles between the lame man and Peter and John. But at this point in their life, they had probably, for the first time, been completely broke. But what they did have, their money couldn't buy anyway. Silver and gold couldn't buy what they gave this man. You see, they couldn't turn to their bank accounts. 
And there's a lesson in that that we're not going to explore too much today. But they couldn't rely on the things of this world to help this man. They had to trust God. No amount of money could do what they were about to do, what God was about to do through them. And this lame man was completely at the mercy of anyone who walked by. And he couldn't walk. He begged for money. I mean, it's not like they have nice wheelchairs 2,000-some years ago. This man didn't have them. Maybe the only thing they had for crutches was maybe something they put together with sticks and stuff like that. you know. But we don't know how bad he was, but pretty bad to be carried to the temple. But there he sat, begging for money. And here comes Peter and John as they start, their shadows start to darken the side of the temple. And, they, and he recognizes them. And as soon as... He sees them and he knows that they can hear him. He asked to show pity, expecting money, silver and gold. But the apostles stop and say, look on us. Look on me. I mean, talk about recognizing this man. I mean, I'm trying to get a part uh, to convey what I think the Lord has conveyed to me. They just didn't say, hey, there's a poor man. They made him look him in the eyes. And Peter and John looked him in the eyes. I can't tell you the last time I've looked a homeless man in the eyes. John and and Peter were there. They took notice of this man. There was a distinct stop and a distinct look in their eyes. And once the apostles realized why this man was there, there was no power in his legs. And even though they didn't know the name of this man, there was a name they did know. There was a name they did know, and that is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. Neither Peter, John, or this nameless man had any power to do any such thing like make the lame walk. In fact, in verse 12, you want to look at that in chapter 3, Peter responds to the crowd, Why look you so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we made this man walk? We didn't do this. We were just a vessel. This miracle is from God. And it's through two men. Through Peter, and I would argue, through the lame man. Even though John was present, it was Peter who spoke. And it was Peter who extended his hand. This miracle was therefore through the faith of Peter and through the faith of the lame man. Why do I assume this again? Think of how the lame man could have responded. Think of maybe how a layman today would respond. I mean, there he is. He's waiting on money. And Peter comes by and extends his hand. There's nothing in his hand. (laughs) There's no silver. There's no gold. There's not even a a glass of water. No gift card from Neto. There's nothing in his hand. Just this empty hand. So this layman's laying there. I mean, put yourself in the layman's position there. This man comes up whom you've never met before, extends an empty hand. And he makes a big deal about him not having any money. Well, I ain't got no money. But but here's an empty hand. And then Peter is staring at him. So you're the lame man. Like, why is this guy staring at me? And then he demands that I stare back at him. And then he says, rise up and walk. And he wants to lift me with one hand. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever tried to lift somebody up who doesn't want to be lifted up? I've tried to do it with two hands, and even your, if they don't want to be lifted up, it's very difficult to lift somebody up. Surprisingly difficult. And Peter extends one hand to lift him up. Therefore, I think this man had to put forth some effort. After 40 years old, 
of being crippled. After laying there all day, it's the springtime, probably late spring, it's Pentecost, so he's probably hot. Been laying there all day, probably since morning. And here comes Peter and John. Extends a hand. The blind man grabs the hand. And he had to use strength to get up. What strength? Who knows? But some strength. He humored Peter for his own welfare. I think, personally, I think somewhere deep down inside, this lame man had some kind of faith. A mustard seed of faith. And that sliver of faith enabled him to feel the power of God flow through his body. His feet and ankle bones received strength, the Bible says. Think how exciting this man would be. I mean, how exciting would you be if you were crippled your whole life and all of a sudden you can walk and leap? I mean, I don't think we can really understand that fully. But here's where it kind of gets real for us this morning. You know, when you and I read a story, at least when I read a story, most of us, we read it with a certain presupposition. We see ourselves as the hero. Right. We see ourselves as part of on the good side. Right. And, you know, if you're reading a, a 15 chapter novel and, and one of the characters kind of dies or goes away in the first first chapter, I don't identify with him anymore. He's not a part of the story. So when we read through this, Peter and John are a part of the story all the way through, but not the lame man. But we don't identify with Peter and John. We identify with the lame man. We identify with the lame man. Now, we should follow the examples of the apostles, of course, but our role better, better fits that of this nameless man. As lost sinners, we may not beg for pity. We may not beg for gold, but we are in need of something money cannot buy. Because without Christ, we are spiritually outside of the holy place. We're sitting outside. We're crippled. And the Savior is there with a stretched out hand to the lost, to every single lost person in this world. There he is with a stretched out hand saying, look unto me and be saved. You know, there is a, a passage in the Old Testament that Charles Spurgeon was saved. Uh, he went to a Methodist church and that guy said, look unto me, look unto, unto me and all the world should be saved. And Charles Spurgeon trusted Christ that way. We, too, can trust Christ. It's that simple. There he is with a stretched out hand saying, look unto me and be saved because there is indeed power in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's only by the power of God that this man was healed. But he had to stand. He had to put forth some effort. He had to exercise his God-given faith. You know, in verse 16, Peter says that his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Speaking of the lame man. So it was through Peter's faith and the faith of this lame man. The question for us this morning is, have you exercised your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you looked unto Jesus for salvation? I trust that majority of us have, but I, if there's one... If there's just one here, have you received his stretched out hand? Listen, our sin has placed us in a worse condition than this lame man by far. But there's power in the name of Jesus Christ, and he is still reaching forth. Speaking of God's words, Paul quotes Isaiah in Romans 10. He says, all day long I've stretched forth my hands to a disobedient and gainsaying people. In fact, after a distinct messianic promise there in Isaiah chapter 9, three times, three times God says his hand is stretched out still. He lists numerous sins of Israel. And he says, three times my hand is stretched out still. Today, Jesus' hands is still stretched out. 
And just like the physical condition of this lame man prohibited him from entering the Jewish temple, our sinful condition prohibits us from entering the kingdom of God. But there's power in the name of Jesus. And you and I can or have received this power. We can have victory. Have you accepted that invitation? And lastly, I want you to look at verse 8 and 9 as we kind of come to a close here. Verse 8 and 9 says, And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Very simply, we ought to praise the Lord. We ought to praise the Lord. That The last psalm, the last verse of the 150th psalm says, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. That should be our motto. What God has done for this man physically doesn't even compare at all to what He has done for us spiritually. Not even close. And while I don't expect us to stand, leap, or walk today, unless you want to stand, leap, or walk, feel free to do so. Our lifestyle today should be different than it was before Christ. What is true of this man in verse 9, in that he walked and people saw him walking and praising God, should be true also of us. Our walk should be different, and we should indeed be praising God. The contrast between our new life in Christ and our spiritually crippled life should be as different as this man's life. And next month I'm preaching at a at a, at a conference, a, a retreat, a bunch of missionaries, and they bring their teens in there. And I've been asked to preach to the teens. And it's going to be fun. So one of the things that I'm going to do is I'm going to go see if I can find some of those, you know, those things they wrap up Lazarus, those swaddling clothes, I guess. I'm going to see if I can get a teen to volunteer where I can wrap him all the way up. <laughs> and then have him lay in the, in the tomb and have, you know, have him come forth and all those things. And then at the end of the sermon... You know, as, as a new Christian with new life, somebody who's following the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not in the, the death clothes anymore. But for those Christians, you and I, some, from time to time, who try to live the old life, it's just going to be like that teen. And I'm just going to wrap him back up in the death cloths. Because <sighs> that's about the same thing we're doing when we don't live for God. As a new believer in Christ, we are putting on dead man's clothes. We are not to live that way. Can you imagine if this man, he wouldn't leap for one day, two days, maybe a week, and a year, and then the salvation kind of lost its excitement. He's like, you know what? I'm going to go lay, out, lay in front of the temple. I guarantee you that didn't happen. It didn't happen. Don't lay. Stand and stand up for the Lord. Again, we don't know a whole lot about him, but I'm pretty sure he didn't go back to the temple and lay around. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, the Bible records the salvation of 5,000 more people. 3,000 at Pentecost. 5,000 more people. Peter's preaching, yes, but because of the lame man. Everybody's looking at him and how different he was. And Peter capitalized on that and 5,000 men came to Christ. That's, if he went back to the temple, that never would have happened. Or to lay at the temple, that never would have happened. True, none of us may ever be used like an apostle, but we can praise the Lord. We can praise the Lord for what He's done for us, and our walk can reflect a new life, much like this lame man. He is worthy of our all. He is worthy. And remember, it's not too late to pray, even though it has been a long time since Pentecost, and our Lord's return is nigh. Maybe we're in the ninth hour, 
But there's still time to pray. And there's still time to take notice and help the so-called nobodies in this world. Because you and I used to be a nobody. We who were once a nobody have, can be used to change the world like this lame man. We've been given a new name by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that new name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That is something to be excited about. That is something to praise the Lord about. Faith is indeed the victory because whosoever is born of God overcometh this world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Friends, there is victory through faith, through your faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as I close, keep praying. Have pity on those you perceive and praise the Lord. This is how we, you and I can have victory through faith. Let us pray.